Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops. I'm your host, Paul Oren, and you're tuned into a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. You can catch Union Street Hoops on iTunes, SoundCloud, and NWI.com. It's the beginning of the beginning. We are weeks away, less than two weeks away from the start of the 2019-20 basketball season. Matter of fact, the season has already kind of unofficially begun with last weekend's 85-65 win over Cedarville, which we'll talk about briefly. And then we'll get into a couple of special guests that we have. A new member, relatively new member, of the men's basketball team this year, Aaron Gordon, joins Union Street Hopes to talk about his etymology of basketball and joining the Crusaders, and and really, I think you're going to love that. And then uh, about a week and a half ago, I had a chance to talk to Lexus Williams while he was driving down the down the freeway about the new NCAA Pay-to-Play Act, which, and actually, it's not NCAA, it's the law in California. And uh, we talked briefly about that, and I think you'll find some of his comments interesting. So we'll come to Lexus a little bit later on, as well as Aaron Gordon. But first, let's talk about the upcoming basketball season. We've gone through the schedule. We've gone through the roster a little bit. Looking forward to doing the over-under annual podcast next week. Uh, Probably try to record that early in the week and have that for you for a couple days to listen to before the season actually starts. November 5th at uh, at the Arc against Toledo. Valpo also is participating in a quote-unquote secret scrimmage on Sunday at UIC. Uh, whether or not we hear anything about that, it's all up to the school. Um, some schools have released stats from these things. Some people have released video from these things. I think UIC, if I remember correctly, last year didn't want any information to get out about it, and, and then some stuff did, and I don't think people are happy about it, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Again, it's up to the schools. If, if It's such a silly practice, right? The NCAA says you're not allowed to acknowledge them or talk about them or whatever, but then afterward, you can release it. You can release the information. So we'll see if we hear anything. UIC should be an interesting test for Valpo in that I think UIC returns like 95% of their roster, uh, you know, in terms of minutes played, points, all that stuff, uh, which I think, I think is tops in the country. Haven't done a lot of research on it because, you know, it's not a real game. But uh, there we go. Speaking of games that aren't real, Valpo played Cedarville in a game that I missed. Um, long story short, uh, my uh, my family, uh, uh, my stepfather, or excuse me, my, my father and stepmother, 30th wedding anniversary, took them out to dinner. Uh, there's been some, some family stuff going on, so I uh, decided that uh, spending some time with my family trumped needing to be at the Ark for the game. Uh, it was tough. And even if I was in town, probably would have been covering sectional volleyball the whole time. So um, having a exhibition this early, Really, kind of, we're in the, getting into that crossover period now of of the fall sports seasons coming to an end, the winter season starting, and uh, and also trying to grab a little bit of uh, time with the family before things get real crazy here. So I missed the game, no video. So if you weren't at the game, you don't you missed it too. I was able to follow the stats, and obviously nothing really jumped out as surprising to me. Uh, Javon Freeman Liberty, 21 points in 19 minutes. The guy is a machine. Looks like he's going to have a really good season. Not a surprise there. Daniel Sackey, uh, you know, didn't have great numbers in the game. Only one assist, a couple turnovers. He had a steal. But I did like the fact that he had five rebounds in the game. The starting lineup was exactly what I thought it was going to be. I tweeted this out, what I thought they'd start with. They started with four guys who I think will be in the starting lineup. On opening night, Javon Freeman Liberty, Daniel Sackey, Nick Robinson, new to the to the roster, at least new to the active roster, and Ryan Fazekas. And then they started John Kaiser. And I imagined that Kaiser would start in place of Malik McMillan. Malik missing, he's going to miss a couple games due to his uh, violation of team rules stemming from an arrest in April. And, I, you know, I guess you can argue... Should he miss regular season games? Should he not? You know, whose rule is it? Is it a university rule, an NCAA rule, a Valley rule? I think it's a university rule that they've got to miss two games. 
but it can be the coach's discretion. And, you know, Matt Lodick has decided that Malik missing the exhibition game, and then I imagine he'll miss another one. Maybe it's Toledo. Maybe it's, you know, the the non-D1 game that they're playing later on in the season when they go up against Trinity Christian on November 27th. I, I don't know the answer to the yet, that yet, and it hasn't really been disclosed to us. But all that's to say, when Malik was taken out of the starting lineup, I figured they'd put Kaiser in there because they probably wanted to see what the rotation would look like with Siggy, Zion, Donovan, and Aaron Gordon kind of coming off the bench. And then Ben Cricky, uh, his grandfather, passed away, so he didn't play in the game. He was home for the funeral. I imagine you're going to see a lot of minutes come out of Ben Cricky as well. Uh, so hard to tell really rotation-wise, though, with these two key pieces out, kind of what was going to work. And clearly, they were looking at the minutes a lot. A guy like Emil, I don't know how to phrase villain, uh, trying to pronounce his last name. Emil, 19 minutes, 3 of 7 from the floor, 5 rebounds, 6 points, turned the ball over 3 times. I don't, and he played 19 minutes. I don't know that we're going to see 19 minutes from Emil during the season. That will be uh, interesting to look at as we go. I, I really, I don't have a sense of these things. Uh, Siggy played 17 minutes, two of six from the three-point line. Everything we're hearing about him is that he is a great shooter, um, but he had three fouls in the game as well. Fouls and turnovers will probably be a struggle a little bit in the early going. Zion Morgan played 21 minutes off the bench, had four rebounds, three assists, a couple points. Uh, Donovan Clay played a team-high 28 minutes, seven rebounds, two assists, six points, and a block. Did have three turnovers. Uh, Looking forward to seeing what Donovan Clay is going to have to offer as the season goes on. Maybe the stat that was the best was Valpo was 17 of 18 from the free throw line. I guess it doesn't matter who you're playing. You got to step to the line and hit free throws, and they did. Aaron Gordon missed the only free throw. Javon Freeman, Liberty, six of six from the free throw line. The guy was dialed in. Aaron Gordon had nine points in 20 minutes, two of six from the three-point line as well. Uh, You'll hear him later on talk about the exhibition game and a bit of a knee issue that he's dealing with. But Aaron Gordon looks like he at least filled up the stat sheet quite a bit. A lot of guys did. Hard to tell really what they look like. I saw the John Kaiser dunk. I saw the Javon dunk. Uh, didn't you know? I've I've read a couple of people's views of the game and everything. I guess it it just makes me all the more excited to see what they look like against Toledo, knowing kind of how things shook out here. So we've got uh, we've got Lexus Williams coming up a little bit later on in the podcast, and I wanted to talk to Lexus because I thought that you know he's been around the block a little bit. He's seen. Valpo, he's seen Boise State, and just from having kind of some deep conversations with Lexus over the years, I knew he'd have some real thoughts about the pay-to-play act that is going on in California, and you'll hear that later on. But really, for me, one of my favorite players on the team now, just getting having conversations with him and talking to him, is Aaron Gordon. He is a journalism major at Valpo, and you got to believe that journalism students are near and dear to my heart as a journalist. And I just really think that Aaron has got an interesting story, an interesting background, and uh, he's going to share that with us right now. Aaron Gordon is here. Welcome. How are you doing? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Just, you know, getting in season form. You know, everybody's just uh, just getting together so we can have a pretty solid season this year. It's been a while since you've been in season form, right? I mean, yeah. this is a uh, how what was that exhibition game like last week to, to get on the court in front of fans with officials for maybe the first time in a long time? Uh, it was it was really uh, it was actually it was really calming. You know, I'm dealing with a little bit of a knee issue, but it was really common just to, you know, get out and, you know, just go through, you know, to warm up. Uh, go through, uh, you know, the crowd, the referee, go through a process because I haven't done that in, you know, about a year and a half. Man, it's uh, it's it's been it's been a while. Uh, I feel like you and I have known each other for a long time now, yeah. and I've never actually seen you play basketball. As you, when you walked into the office, I was watching a highlight tape from 2014. Uh, I want to I want to yeah. start um, with that. With uh, there's a lot of guys that have come through Valpo for a long time that 
are from Chicago and they hype up Chicago basketball so much, right? Mm-hmm. You've got some guys on your team right now that are from the Chicago land area. Yeah. Talk to me about Indy. What was what was growing up in Indy playing basketball in Indianapolis like? Uh, well, it was really interesting. You know, I grew up obviously in a family of basketball. Um, I grew up in the heart of Indy, you know, on the north side where a lot of players, you know, who played Division One, who played in the NBA, you know, grew up. So I would say just going to high school there is always really competitive. Um, you, you know, you have a ton of really good schools, a ton of really good private schools, public schools. You know, it's, it's really well-rounded all the way around. Um, it's a little different. And indeed, there's normally not a ton of powerhouses, yeah. per se, like how it is here where, you know, you got – Four, you know, four or five, you know, players going division, but on division one on on a team, and India is a lot more spread out. Um, where you, you know, you'll get, you know, you know, your two or three really good studs, and then you have a lot of really good, you know, homegrown players that you know really know the game and and really understand the game, and you know, they may not go on to play division one or division two, but they may have a successful career at the division three or NAI level that you know they don't really get the same credit, so. Normally, the teams are really good in Indianapolis from top to bottom. I know. We'll get to your family in a little bit. And I imagine you looked up to your dad and your two older brothers. But was there a player or two that that was a couple years older than you that you kind of respected their game a little bit in Indy, you know? And it's it's really interesting because, you know, for me, um, obviously having your brother in the NBA, having your other brother that played in the CBA, you know, you didn't really have a ton of role models other than them. Yeah. You know, mines were just guys that I grew up playing with. Uh, you know, Ronnie Johnson, Trone Johnson, you know, those guys at Purdue. Uh, you know, just just honestly, the older guys in my neighborhood. You know, Andrew Wern, who who played at Bradley. You know, just guys like that. Um, you know, they've had an impact on me, uh, you know, just from seeing them play every day and see them go from high school to college to the pros. I mean, it's been really good. It's been more... It's been more of the guys that have been in my neighborhood that has had, like, a really huge impact. Those are the guys that, you know, I really respected growing up. I'll ask you this now because we're talking about it. Let's We'll talk about your family for a second. And it's important to, to preface that I am a Milwaukee Bucks fan. Yeah. They open tonight against the Houston Rockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, are you more of a Rockets fan or a Pacers fan? Uh, I'm a mixture of both, but I'm definitely more of a Rockets fan since my brother's on there. But, I, you know, I enjoy watching NBA basketball in general. Uh, this is my brother's actual 12th uh, year in the league, so Man. it is, you know, it's been a, a wild ride for him, but, you know, I'm enjoying it. But I enjoyed the paces a lot, too. So he, your your oldest brother is, like, significantly older than you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's... Uh, He's nine years older. Wow. Um, okay, so your dad played at Liberty. Yeah. He's, like, top 20 scorer there. Yeah. Your brother played at IU mm-hmm. and, and went to the NBA. Yeah, and your other brother, Evan, went couple different places and you said cba and all that um is there is there pressure that comes with that like is there i mean i i can't really imagine like being in that situation or or tell me like the pickup games in the backyard at the holidays yeah how how competitive are those games so to start off um it's really interesting because i feel like i've probably dealt with the you know the pressure of trying to live up to that for so long that i don't really feel it or notice it and I think a lot of people, it's really interesting, I think a lot of people from the inside, like in terms of family, just people around Indianapolis, you know, they don't really give me any pressure. I don't really feel any pressure from them. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone that I may not know or someone that's trying to, you know, figure out who I am. Maybe I, I may feel a little bit more pressure there or they may put a little bit more expectation on me there. But, um, you know, I don't really feel any pressure from, you know, just people, people who I grew up with, family. You know, I don't really feel any pressure there. It's interesting because... Valpo has had Derek Smiths here. His father played in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Shane Hammock, his father played in the NBA. Chandler Levingston Simon, his father played in the NBA. I haven't had anyone whose brother played in the NBA, yeah. but it's just it's. But I don't know why people gravitate toward Valpo yeah. with these NBA connections. Uh, and I, I guess I want to ask you that now. Let's tr- transition to Valpo a bit. Were they on the radar at all, recruiting wise, when you were in high school, coming out of Cathedral? Uh, yeah, they were a little bit. Um... I, I think at that point I had sort of made my mind, you know, I, I really wanted to play in the Big East Conference. Um, they started coming on to me a little bit more my junior year, and you know that was the year that I sat out. So, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of support from many colleges for the simple fact that I wasn't playing at all. So, you know, they were always, you know, doing more checkups, but, you know, it's, it was against the rules for them to see me work out or do anything. So, you know, Valpo, you know, really no school around this area was, you know, 
really recruiting me, you know, extremely hard just for that fact. And they all knew that I was going to be able to play my senior year in AAU and stuff. So around that time, you know, very little, but, you know. AAU is obviously a huge thing. I think your father's got a team, right? Yeah. Or kind of runs. Um, just how competitive is, is it to when you are going out on the circuit knowing that every game you've got coaches watching and, and really it can be the difference between one level or another level? Was that, is that nerve-wracking to go through the AAU process? Oh, well, you know, it, it was a little bit. I think when I was younger, it was easier because I, I always played up. I always played – uh, 17U when I was uh, 15. I played 15U when I was 14, and obviously 16 when I played 17 and 17. But I think as I got a little bit older, it became a little bit, it became a little bit more stressful. I, I think um, not being signed my junior year, I think put a little bit more stress on me. Uh, you know, just trying to go out in every single game, just trying to you know put on. I did have a lot of offers at that time, so I didn't feel pressure to try to, you know, get an offer. I've always felt, you know, I always wanted to do my best in front of the coaches, whether they were were recruiting me or not. So it's always, I I believe it's a lot harder as you get to 16 to 17, you, you know, you're feeling like, okay, this is my last time to perform in front of these college coaches. And you you never know where those college coaches may go. Maybe they may, you know, take a job from a school that you may go or they may, you know, go to the pros or they, you know, they may, you know, do something else and a brand or something. So you always want to show out in front of, you know, those guys. Biggest AAU game you played against, like big, like biggest uh, star that you that you had to go against. I was definitely um, at Adidas Nations. I mean, there was just stars everywhere. Uh, my team was our just our guard plays. It was uh De'Aaron Fox, Dennis Smith Jr., Lonzo Ball. You know, that was probably the biggest game I've ever played in. Um, I I've played, heard of those guys. They're yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good. Uh, you know, I had to go against uh, Kyle Guy, who obviously I went against all the time, you know, just being, you know, from the same area. And a lot of, you know, really good guys were on the other team. So I, I think, you know, that was probably the highest level of, you know, AU or so-called summer basketball that I played in while I was there. The rumor about Kyle Guy is he came to Valpo for an unofficial when he was like a freshman or sophomore <laughs> in high school and Valpo lost that game and the coaches were so pissed that they kind of forgot they had a guy in the gym <laughs> and he was like okay I'm out of here I don't want you know and obviously yeah. he bloomed into an amazing prospect mm-hmm. and obviously won a national championship he also lost to a number 16 seed which no one's ever done yeah. before too but good good guy um you go to Seton Hall it, it, it does it not work out, or was it just he wanted to change the scenery? Kind of how did that go? Yeah, well, I, me personally, um, and I, I think anybody that you know followed my career would, would tell you, you know, over there it was when I went to Seton Hall. I, I believe you know we had a really great team. Um, I do believe things worked out, but you know I just wanted to you know come back home. Uh, obviously, we graduated six seniors at the time, which is you know, you know that's that's half of a team, and especially being a senior led team. And they did have a good year the year after, but at that point, I was trying to, you know, I was really deciding whether is it, you know, time. And then our the the guy that recruited me, uh, Sheen Holloway, he had left and took a job. Another uh, assistant coach I was close with, Fred Hill, had retired. And, you know, things were just falling in place, and it was just like, you know, there's a lot of really good schools. And I think my dad had, you know, mentioned it to me. He mentioned it to me right when the season had ended, but, you know, he was just like, okay, let's try to do some preseason. But then, you know, once the coaches started, you know, leaving, and it was just like, well, there's a lot of really good schools back home. Um, and so Valpo shows up on the radar again. They had moved to the Valley, which they yeah. weren't in the Valley yeah, when they you started. In the yeah, They finished in last place in the Valley their mm-hmm. first year. Uh, which I imagine was right around the time you were taking visits and making yep. your decision and everything. Um, what drew you to Valpo? So what drew me to Valpo was, A, it was close. And I think um, that had a you know major factor. Um, and B, you know, I, I liked uh, Coach Lodic. I liked his plan. I liked how, you know, on my visit and when he started calling me when I announced that I was transferring, you know, he was just like, you know, he wanted to change the program and it was going to take a year or two at least. And, you know, I was just like, you know, I'm all for it. You know, if I'm going to start back over, why not be in Indiana? Uh, why not get a program that, you know, I'm going to have to sit out, but it's still a good program, really good people. You know, 
obviously a good journalism program. <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure, you are a journalism major. Yeah, and so. uh, we'll, get, we'll get to Aaron Gordon TV here in a second. <laughs> So, um, and, you know, it was just like, um, it just felt like a good place. You know, I, I still looked at Indiana a little bit, but with, with my brother being, you know, both my brothers playing there, you know, we just felt like, you know, it may not be a good, you know, road or avenue to go, you know, through that because we, we don't know what, what that might entail. And then, you know, there's a couple other, you know, programs, but I pretty much knew, you know, you know, Valpo was the spot before the school year ended. Yeah. So you have to sit out. Now, Now you said you had to sit out a year in high school. So you, you're familiar with what? Most of the year. Most I was of able the year. to play um, in February. Were you hurt or was it a transfer thing? I don't no, even know. transfer I, thing. Okay. That's, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so you, you miss last year. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that year like for you then? I mean, is it, is it, is it taking a break from basketball? Is it getting your body right? Is it adding a, a jumper or or whatever? Like what? How did you approach the year of knowing you weren't going to be able to play competitive basketball? Yeah, well, I I approached it. You know, I would say I approached it professionally, and I think that's really hard to do as a twenty year old at the time to say, okay, I'm gonna sit out and I'm only going to practice and work on you know my game and not think about playing any games, which is extremely tough for anyone that's 20, especially if they are not dealing with injury, to, to go to practice every day, to uh, go to practice every day, to uh, make sure that you're doing the, the right things in the classroom, to make sure that you're doing the right things uh, health-wise, and things like that are extremely important. So you have a running partner with you in Nick Robinson. Mm-hmm. You guys come in. And you watch this team, for the lack of a better word, just kind of disintegrate down the stretch, right? Mm-hmm. Was that did that make it harder to realize that you and Nick? I mean, I guys, you guys like misery loves company, so you mm-hmm. were able to kind of be together in this. We can't play, but was it real? Was it hard to watch and know that you couldn't go out on the court and fix whatever was ailing the team? Uh, honestly, you know, we knew that we weren't going to play, but I, honestly, I feel like it was easier. Okay. And and by saying that, I would say that me and Nick both had to watch, you know, all the younger guards struggle. Um, we both had to watch all the older guys, you know, feel like they had another program in mind and, and going to a different school. And, you know, we felt like, hey, like, I believe that this is, you know, good for us. I think, you know, maybe we need some of this as a, as a program. And, you know, I, I obviously think that if we had some of those guys back, we would be better. But I believe that was a good thing to happen. I think new, I, I believe that whenever you struggle, sometimes newness is a good thing. I know newness in the word, but you no, know, it's I, a good I like thing. it. I like <laughs> it. I'm, I'm here for you. But I think newness is it's a good thing. And I think whenever you are in a situation where, you know, you're kind of stuck in a spot and things aren't going your way, sometimes maybe things like that you know, happen so you could, you know, you know, grow as a program. We've got fruit flies in here. I apologize yeah. <laughs> for that. Because um, I always look at this. I mean, the Golden State Warriors really loved Monte Ellis a ton. And Monte Ellis was a really good player. But I feel like until they had a, a change of scenery, a change of program, because I've, I still feel like they hung on to that, you know, we believe team with Baron Davis. And, and Matt, yeah. I believe that they were holding on to that team so long, so long, so long. And then, you know, once they felt like they needed a new identity, I believe that, you know, they, they skyrocketed it. And their new identity was the Splash Brothers. Yeah. And I think if, you know, sometimes if you're going to splash, you're going to jump into the water and you can do that from a boat. Yeah. And, and your team is one team, one boat. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> like, what 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 is, I mean, I, I understand the concept, but just in your mind, because it's everywhere now. There's yeah. like a poster in the office mm-hmm. with all of you guys. Actually, there's multiple boats. Yeah. But it's from your... Uh, the rafting trip you guys took in Canada, what does one team, one boat mean to you? Well, to me, I, I do believe that, um, like, on any boat, uh, obviously it came from uh, the chant that we did in in, uh, in Canada, but I believe that it's really important because a boat, obviously you would have a captain and you'd have different people on the boat working it, but everybody's, you know, everybody's, you know, their, their stroll matters, everything that they say matters, everyone has to be on rhythm. So I think as a collection, everybody has to be on the same page and everyone's job is very important. So 
you know, that's the same thing with the team, the same thing as the boat. If one person's slacking off, then it hurts everybody. If one person's off rhythm, then it hurts everybody. And I think, you know, that's really good for a team. This is a tough question, but I feel like you can answer this because mm-hmm. you've been around basketball for a long time. Every year at the beginning of the year, there's always a team that says our team chemistry is great. We love each other. Everything's right. Last year's team, they mm-hmm. all said the same thing too, yeah. right? And it was yeah, clear sure. as time went on that the chemistry wasn't there, whatever. Like as a, as a guy who's older, more experienced, how do you have to, when, when shots aren't falling and when there's frustration, how does this team not crumble like past teams? Well, you know, I like to say um... – I think a lot of things could be changed on how we, as a team, how we look at things. And I, I, I told this to a couple of my teammates. This was maybe about a month ago. Sometimes things negative that happen, like negative things are going to happen. And we have to make sure that we are getting back to what, 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 the, what the goal is. So maybe it's not your shot that's fine. Maybe it's somebody else that has it going. Maybe we need to tighten up on defense. And I think that that was an identity that we didn't have quite as much last year. I felt like if someone was having a bad game, they were going to have a bad game. And sometimes if they weren't making shots, they were going to have a bad game. If they had a bad you know, first couple possessions, they were going to have a bad game. Sometimes I think we need to just gather in. If they have a bad possession, they miss a couple shots, maybe – those should be, you know, the best collecting moments as a team. And I think that we've done a good job. I think that Canada trip really helped us. Yeah, and that was, that was my next question. You guys go to Canada. Uh, it's a team bonding experience, obviously. You mm-hmm. go and beat the defending national champions, which is you know, it's an amazing game. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but what, when, what did you take away from that trip, especially with the, the newer, younger guys on the team? Yeah. Well, I felt like it was a really good trip. Um, obviously, it's a little bit of wear and tear from doing it in the summer, but – um, I believe it was a great trip in terms of gathering everyone together, showing everybody this is what we do. Because, you know, obviously being a transfer, you know, you come in, you want to get some games in. Obviously it's not official, but you just want to get some games in. You want to get some reps in. And I think it was good for the freshmen. And, you know, I think we had a lot of good bonding experience outside of basketball with the the trips on the rafting and, and, and other things, being on boats and stuff. It was really cool. All right, I gotta. We're gonna get to uh, to the fun. Uh, Aaron Gordon TV. Yeah, you're on YouTube. You're all over the place. It's amazing. Thank How you. did you start doing this, and kind of what kind of enjoyment do you get out of it? So, um, you know, this is one of the things that I, I definitely want to do as I get older. I want to be able to, you know, create, you know, a story. And sometimes stories could just be as small as, you know, just doing a little vlog of, you know, you making up your office or, you know, you going through a workout. And I I think, you know, stories are really cool. And a couple of my friends were just telling me, hey, you should, you know, you should do a vlog. And I just said, okay. So, you know, I got a camera. This was when I was at Seton Hall and I just got a, a camera and I just started filming. And then obviously my skills got a little bit better. I still you know, have a lot of room to improve, but I feel like it's came a long way since I first started. So I think that's really good. Just see the improvement. And I just like to film everyday things, whether it's working out, traveling, uh, going to school, being around my teammates. And I just like, I just like filming stuff. It feels like a hard knocks for Valpo basketball, the HBO <laughs> show that goes inside training camp at the NFL. I love watching the behind the scenes stuff. I think it, it does show that you guys are a pretty tight knit group. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anyone on your team who's afraid of the camera? Who's afraid? I don't think anyone's afraid of the camera. I think Ryan is a little reluctant of the camera. I think he's a really low key guy. He's kind of a quiet guy. I think John is really funny with the camera because he likes saying simple things, but I don't think anybody's really afraid of the camera. I, I love how it's typically you turn it on and you walk up to someone and say, say what's good to the camera. <laughs> I mean, that, that's like your go-to line. Yeah. Um, how like how fun was it to, to put together that Canada thing? I mean, for me, watching you guys celebrate on the bus was yeah. maybe one of the coolest YouTube <laughs> videos I've ever seen. How, how much fun is it to, to go back and edit that stuff after it happens? Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing. Um, I'm doing a little bit of, you know, editing. I'm not doing, you know, quite as much. Obviously, I, try, I wanted to get that video out so everyone could see in a short amount of time. But, you know, I think it's cool. I think what one thing that's really cool with a lot of those – things I do with the vlog is looking back at it, um, you know, years from now. 
So, you know, whether, you know, whether what type of year we have, I think it'd be cool to look back 20 years from now and see or 10 years from now and see like, hey, this one, you know, we beat the national champions of Canada, you know, and I think, you know, certain things like that are cool. So I think, you know, that's that's the job of a journalist is to, you know, keep, you know, history going. And, you know, like you said, in one of our classes, like journalism is history. And, you know, that's the most important part of journalism is to be able to tell history and for it to stay there. Absolutely. Uh, journalists get censored every once in a while. Has, has Coach Lodick ever been like, make sure you don't put this, that? or I mean, are there any rules that you have? Uh, no, I mean, I, I know. You know, I, I think being a journalism major, I know what, what can go out there and okay. what can't. You know, I, you know I, I try to stay away from, you know, anything negative. But I, I, I'm pretty – I know what's what's good and what's not. I've uh, taken things out, but, you know, I know what's good and what's not. All right, a couple of questions about this team because, you know, this is like a de facto. We're starting to do some season preview stuff. Yeah. Um, fastest player on the team? Fastest player, I would say Daniel Sack. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Every, I think everyone knows that he's the fastest. The nickname is the Jet, I think. So yeah. he's, what, who's the second fastest player? Like who's right next to him in a sprint? Probably Zion Morgan. Okay. Okay. What? Let me. Let's ask about Zion for a second because you and Nick have this like I'd imagine a pretty good bond from hanging yeah. out last year mm-hmm. as the transfers, yeah. and all of a sudden now Zion comes in, who's also yeah. a transfer, doesn't have to sit out. Went to high school with Nick. Yeah. What's his been? What's his addition been like to the team? Oh well, it's been really good. I think uh, just him battling in practice. Uh, I think from him being at UNLV and then going to a JUCO, I think uh, like he said and tearing his ACL. It's really changed him. It really has. I mean, I could tell that he's really thankful, you know, just to be able to play. He practices really hard. He plays really hard. And I think that's just been so positive for us. You cannot say Ryan Fazekas for this. Who's the best shooter on the team? I would either say either me or Siggy. So I would say I would say it's like a three way tie between me, Siggy, and Javon. Javon. Okay. Well, the knock on Javon was that he couldn't shoot in the past, and, yeah. and now he's getting better at it. Yeah. And uh, and obviously we know you can shoot, but Siggy is. Uh, I mean, I've heard that he is yeah. torches when yeah. he shoots. He's pretty good. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. I think um, you know, get coming here, um, you know, just gonna adjust college basketball. I think has really made his jumper get a lot better over the course of time. So many of these guys were kind of under the radar, these newcomers, yeah. right? So Donovan, maybe a guy that was, he grew as the year went on at Alton, mm-hmm. same place that Dion Lavender came from. Um, but my guess is, maybe I'm wrong, but my guess is when Siggy and Emil and Ben show up, it's probably the first time that you guys have ever heard of these guys, mm-hmm. let alone seen these guys play. Um, because, you know, they're, they weren't from the U.S. Now, yeah. it was different when Valpo was recruiting all these kids from Chicago yeah, and we knew about Javon for years, yeah. right? We've known about you for a long time, mm-hmm. knew, known about Nick Robinson for a long time. When these newcomers come in, when do you, how long does it take for you to say that guy can ball or that guy? You know, I mean, how how long do you until you know that okay, we can we can roll with this guy? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was talking to my dad about this maybe a couple, I would say about a month or two ago. You know when guys can play. Um, because like you would know that I can't play. The second yeah. I walk on the gym, <laughs> yeah. I dribble once, and you'd be yeah. like, okay. That's get, the thing. Get him um, off. Yeah, like I think of a lot of our guys, you know, when I first saw these guys walk in the gym, I knew that they could play. And like my dad said, you know, you, you could tell. If you really pay attention to how they approach the game, by the way that they pick up a basketball, by the way that they warm up, you can tell a player by how they warm up. Uh, is there – Maybe this is unfair to ask you, but is there one freshman who you're really excited to kind of watch this year? Uh, this year, I think I'm excited for all the freshmen, but I think uh, Siggy and Donovan. Yeah. I'm excited for Ben, too. Uh, but I think Ben's, you know, he's really comfortable now, and I think he's, you know, he's going to have a big year. Um I'm at, no matter of fact, I'm actually excited to see Emil. I didn't win all so over the place. So there you go. You want to, you, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm excited, but for all the freshmen, because I know, like, you know, my freshman year, from the start of my freshman year all the way to the end of my freshman year, I know how much better I got. You know, that's one thing that I really want to see from them is, is you know, you, I, w- you know, I want to be able to look at film in Canada and then look at film, you know, one of the last games of the season. Be like, you know, that was just in the year. You got that much better. And because that's exactly how I felt. And I felt like from watching the first game to the last game, I felt like I was two totally different players in my freshman year. Um, 
I want to ask you about uh, about the NBA for a second because we talked mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Um, who's going to win? I do believe the Houston Rockets will win, and that's not as. And and here's the thing, I I more believe so. If I had to say who is going to win, you know, if I had to put money on it, which I can't, I would say that's a key distinction because yeah, gambling is legal now, but not for you. <laughs> not for you me. can't do it. Yeah, you know, I would have to say you know the Houston Rockets, and I think for a lot of different reasons, I like how they play the game. I think their their pacing and spacing would be a lot better than a lot of the teams on the West right now. I think that they'll have a couple matchup problems with obviously those uh, LA teams, and I think they'll still struggle with Golden State a little bit. But I think with how they play the game, I just don't. I really don't think that a lot of teams can really match that. Russell Westbrook going to Houston is, uh, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm excited to watch them take an L tonight against Milwaukee, <laughs> but I think they're going to be really good. Uh, Kyrie putting 50 last night, yeah. I thought was was obviously, you know, look to see what these the new players and new spots are. Does Golden State make the playoffs this year? Yes, Golden State definitely makes the playoffs. They're still one of the top teams. I mean, they'll probably be a six or seven seed, but they'll still be a playoff team. Can I know the Pacers are are a team that you like. Yeah. There's Milwaukee and Philadelphia are like one and two, some order. Yeah. Is there anybody else who has a legitimate shot in the East this year? I really honestly don't think so. I think the the Pacers probably have the third best chance to win the East. And Boston is probably Boston's in, probably around fourth or fifth. And I mean Brooklyn was I don't I don't even know who else is in their starting lineup so. other than yeah, Kyrie Irving. I, me personally, I don't think Brooklyn Brooklyn they will make the playoffs, but I think they'll be around the seven AC. I like Miami a little bit, but I think that they have a lot of roster, you know, changes. Which to me, you know, that's not bad. But for a first year, I I haven't seen very many teams just get together. When you're even at, you know, the the Raptors, people have to think, there's been a lot of those guys that's been there for years. Um, obviously, by making a big trade to get Kawhi and a big trade throughout the year to get Marcus Saul and Danny Green, I mean, a lot of those guys have been there. So I think, you know, that changes a little bit. That was a fun game to watch the other night, them and the Pelicans. Yeah. Was, uh, do, do you, during the season, do you watch more college games or more NBA games? I watch more NBA games. I think... For me, I don't look as look at college the same way I did when I was in high school. I think I try to study the, the college game more. I think I watch I probably watch more live games of the NBA, but I probably watch more college film. So I'll probably go on Synergy or another app or YouTube and watch a college game. But I'm more doing a lot more studying more than just watching it. But if I if I'm coming home from practice and I turn on the game, it's more than likely going to be an NBA game. The Missouri Valley Conference is uh, kind of wide open this year missouri state's got a lot of transfers mm-hmm. on their team look like they're gonna be really talented uh you guys were picked to finish ninth mm-hmm. is that a slap in the face or is that kind of the reality of the situation when you've got a, a team that struggled and then a bunch of guys left and there's kind of a bunch of i mean you guys know what you have in the locker room but a yeah. lot of other people don't seem to do you take offense to that so that thing at ninth or is that just fuel to the fire I mean, I'll be completely honest with you. I haven't seen any reporters that are practices other than you guys. I haven't seen any of them, you know, report on our trips to Canada. I haven't seen any of them talk to any of us, you know, individually. I haven't seen them, you know, really do, you know, pretty much any scouting or whatever. I did see that, but I'm like, I mean, how would they know? They're really just guesstimating. And I, I believe anybody can really guesstimate, but, you know, I I don't really take offense to it because – it is what it is. I mean, they're doing a lot of guesstimating. I don't think they do quite as much of scouting and reporting and, and things of that nature the same way. So, Yeah, I think that's a completely fair thing. I mean, I oftentimes, like, you know, I put the teams in the order of what I thought, but I don't have a first clue of, yeah. like, who's going to be, you know. Yeah. Like, Illinois State has 11 newcomers on their team. Yeah. I don't I, like, I, like I, I, I said, don't know I, who they are. And like I said, I don't blame anybody for, you know, rating us, you know, here or there. But, I mean, you really can't take as much offense to it because they don't know. I mean, you're not going to Illinois State's practices or you're not going to Loyola or any reporters of any other colleges, universities, or anybody that has their own program. They're not going to any of our practices. So until the season starts, you know, 
that's the reason why I don't really care for preseason awards because it's a lot of it's speculation. I think it's you know it's all content, right? Like yeah. I mean, we need something to talk yeah, about. We need, need something to talk about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think of the same. The AP top twenty-five just came out yeah. for. Uh, you know, I think Michigan State might be preseason number one, and yeah. they just lost one of their top players. So, yeah. like, who knows what's yeah, going to happen? Um, Aaron, thank you very much for for taking the time here. Um, what uh, is how excited are you for November fifth in Toledo? Uh, just you know, I, I think this would be a I think this would be a really interesting you know opening night. I think you know, obviously, I, I, I I'm pretty sure we should win this one, but you know, I'm just ready you know to you know just get out there and start battling. I think. What we showed from Cedarville, you know, we did, you know, we were a little sloppy out there, but we did show that, you know, we we fought and, you know, we, we fought to the end. And I think that that's really important. You know, that's just going to be an identity for us that we're just going to keep competing and, and playing together. The YouTube site is Aaron Gordon TV. Yeah, Aaron I think Gordon everyone TV. should go there. <laughs> everyone should check it out. Everyone should be out at the Arc November 5th against Toledo. And uh, we're looking forward to watching you play. Thank for you. Sure. Thank you. Great words from Aaron Gordon there, and someone who I just am really excited to see have a role here for Valpo. He's been great to get to know over the last year and a half, and I really do think uh, it's going to be special kind of seeing him out there. He's a good kid. Uh, looking forward to see what he does on the basketball court, and I, I, I think you could hear his genuine tone throughout, and I, I just I think he's a fan favorite. I think I think a handful of these guys that are new. Uh, I also do. I appreciate the fact when I asked him what freshman is going to make the best impact, he then listed all four at different times. So he was pretty uh, political there, uh, but but it was good. Hope you liked Aaron Gordon. Great guy. And now I want to move on to, again, one of my favorite Valpo players that I've ever had a chance to be around, Lexus Williams. Uh, I reached out to Lexus. He was driving down the street, uh, driving down the freeway when this happened, so the audio is not great. And, and and so that is, I mean, it's going to be a little hard to hear, but I think you'll appreciate some things that he had to say. And, and so here's Lexus, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it when, when he's done. California just had this Fair Pay to Play Act they just passed, this idea that you can make money off of being a college athlete, your name, image, your likeness. Did you have any reaction to kind of seeing that news come out? It's, it, it raises a lot of interesting questions, questions that, that I'll talk about later on in the podcast here. But I wanted to ask kind of some different detractors of this have kind of come out and said, well, what happens when there's a guy on the team that's getting paid X amount because he's the star and then there's another guy on the team that's not making anything? Obviously, that happens in the pros a lot. But, I mean, do you have a sense of uh, let's go into the Valpo locker room. Guys that were starters on that team, you know, like Alec, you, Jabril, might have been able to command a certain dollar value, whereas maybe a guy like Nick Davidson would not have been able to. Would that have led? What's your reaction to to that kind of thought? This is an interesting question, and I know that it probably could put you in a tough position to answer it, but 
You played at Valpo. You played at Boise State. As you said, you were on billboards. I know you were on ticket brochures. You were on stuff like that. Did the word exploited ever kind of come into your mind? Because that's a term that people throw around a lot. College athletes feel exploited. Was that – was – I mean, I know you guys got a ton of Nike gear and all. You got to eat right on the road and travel and nice all that. But but was there ever a thought that something was missing from the whole process? No, I never thought of it like that. Because when you go to college, you know what you're getting into. You know you're going and you're not getting paid. You know what I mean? It's like the step that you have to take. And I think that people that feel exploited, I mean, that's just, that's just a harsh word to use, I would say. Yeah. And that seems, you know, it's interesting because I look at, I've, I've been to the NCAA tournament, we, we we both have, obviously, and and it's a huge production and there's a lot of money behind that machine and all of that. And there's a part of me that thinks from time to time, shouldn't the athletes see some part of this billion dollar TV deal? But then I also, as you said, you kind of know what you're getting into, right? And and there does seem to be the argument that if they don't, if athletes don't like it, they can go play somewhere else. And uh do you do you ever foresee that being a possibility that the college model, the NCAA model, goes away at any point? Um, I don't I don't see it going away just because everybody doesn't want to take the that same path um, or any same path really. Um, and I don't see a lot of people getting away from getting their education just because it's so um, talked about about how everybody doesn't make it to the pros and. Knowing that you're going to need your degree, degree to get to your next destination in life, and I think that college will always be around, NCAA system will always be around. Uh, but if the opportunity is out there to make money, then I think that NCAA should explore uh, nationwide. Um, I think it is fair to pay people for their likeness and their name and, and being used um, in certain instances. Um, now, how they're going to divvy it up, I'm not sure. But like I said before, you know, we don't live in a world where everybody gets the same amount for, you know, doing the same thing. So just like like you said about me, Alec and Jabril, being on billboards and stuff like that, and we might be able to command more on our team, but if somebody at Kentucky or somebody at Duke would be making way more than we are because they're on TV and stuff like that, much more than we are. So I think it's always going to be, you know, a, a big uh, discrepancy between us, between um, who gets paid what. So when you were in school, I would imagine those video promo shoots and stuff like that. Was did you guys sign a lot of autographs? Did people come up asking for autographs a lot? Yeah, they. I, so in Boise, we actually used to like we maybe we made a day after a game where we all sat down next to each other at the table and just signed autographs for every fan that wanted one. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. Again, I always wonder like. Some of the people out there say, well, you know, the athletes should be paid for those autographs, which I agree with. Then there are other people who say, well, if they didn't play at that school, no one would want their autograph. And they use the uh, one of the examples I've used is obviously Zion Williamson is is huge, right? He went to Duke. So everyone who follows Duke is going to follow Zion Williamson. Terrence Ferguson's a really good player, too, but he didn't go to a college. So now that he's in the pros, it's like, are people paying attention to Terrence Ferguson? And and, you know, obviously people want his autograph because he's in the NBA, but he doesn't have the kind of that college to fall back on. Uh, it's it's interesting to kind of see this argument go. I want to shift just so you went to Boise and uh, and kind of what have you been up to since then? So last year I played in the G League with the Texas Legends. Um, I ended up getting drafted in their draft around this time a year ago. Um, and then now I'm looking to go to Indonesia in December. How is your knee doing right now? So you went to Boise and you hit a half quarter to beat Oregon. Yeah, 
that was the place that you lost at a couple times when you were with Valpo. How awesome was it to hit that shot? Oh, it was great. And, you know, the question everybody always asks me about the shot is, like, when I shot it, did I know it was going in? And I was like, yeah. Like, as soon as it left my hand, I could see it just lined up perfectly, and it, it went right in. I didn't expect it to go, like, right in and switch like that, but I expected it to go in when I shot it. You played with Alec Peters, and you play, played with Chandler Hutchinson. Who was the best player you played with in college? Nah, I'm not answering that. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a question I'm answering. No way. <laughs> that's outstanding. Lexus, thank you very much for taking the time to chat, and obviously uh, always always cheering you on, and uh, looking forward to catching some Indonesia basketball streams here in the future. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Always enjoyable to hear from Lexus Williams. And again, sorry about the audio there. It was, uh, you know, not ideal. Uh, a lot of times when recording over the phone, it's it's holding up the uh, the solid-state recorder to a speakerphone. And when the other person's on a speakerphone while driving, it's just, you know, it's 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 kind of layering, 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 and it sounds like you're in a tunnel or whatever. And it, So anyway, but, but happy to have the thoughts there from Lexus. And I thought it was interesting— some things that he said, he talked about the locker room makeup, knowing that there could be a situation where guys are making a little bit more money. And I also like the fact that he talked about, you know, what happens next in life and, and college preparing you. I'm, I have been for years, years, I'm telling you, torn on the idea of whether or not college athletes should be paid. Because I think it's such a complicated question. And I don't, I don't know the, I don't, it's not that I don't know the answer. I do think college athletes should be paid, or I do think college athletes should have the opportunity to make money off their name. But I also do understand that the money they make is tied into the role the university plays. I'm kind of both. Like Doug Gottlieb has this take quite a bit, you know, and I kind of touched on it a bit with Lexus when I brought up the Terrence Ferguson example. Like, and let's not use Zion Morgan, or excuse me, Zion Morgan, Zion Williamson, who I used as the example. Let's use a guy like Denzel Valentine, who is at with the Chicago Bulls now, and is really probably not having the kind of career. Uh, I mean, he's on the team, but he's not a star on the team, right? When his playing career is done, he'll be able to go back to East Lansing, and he'll never have to pay for a drink in that town, right? I mean, he made a killing uh, there for Michigan State, right, in terms of taking him to the Final Four. I saw him get a triple-double against Kansas at the Champions Classic one year. He's an amazing player, and he will forever, from now until the end of time, be associated with Michigan State basketball. There's never a time when he won't be able to go and do an autograph signing in East Lansing, and he won't be able to go and do an appearance here or there and make money in East Lansing. And all of that is because of the fact that he played at Michigan State. Terrence Ferguson, when his career is done and he's out of the NBA, will not have that to fall back on. And it's because he didn't go to college. There's not there's not a, a place that, like, Zion Williamson will forever be able to go back to Duke and be a legend at that place, despite the fact that his team probably underachieved. And maybe I'm naive about this, or maybe I'm wrong about this, but I do think that there is some value that playing for the school adds to the future thing. Look at Valpo for a second. If Lexus Williams were to come back to town, or Alec Peters, or you know Milo Stovall, or Jamie Sykes, or Bryce Drew—obviously Bryce, we've we've talked about—but you know if Jamie Sykes or Bill Bob Jenkins came back here as Orrin Viscovic, people would you know some people would line up for that because. And, and would they do an autograph thing? Maybe. I don't know that autographs actually have the same kind of value they used to have, but if there was $5 for a selfie with that, whatever, maybe. I don't know. But it, it just there's value for those guys because they played at Valpo. But they also generated a bunch of value for Valpo. Think about getting to the NCAA tournament on the backs of those players and think about the money that that's generated over time. Think about the guys at Butler and all the money that they made for that school. Now they got a college scholarship. So that's that's the part that I, like, this isn't a hill that I'm really willing to die on because they did get a college scholarship. They did get to come out of school debt-free, so to speak. And we don't know everybody's situation, right? And they do get a stipend check from the NCAA. 
So there's some money to be had there. It's not a ton. We all know the the kind of the famous story of Chris Weber going through the uh, the food line at the Union in Michigan when he when he was there and he had to put back some food because he couldn't afford it. Yet his jersey was hanging in the the bookstore window and selling for you know seventy five bucks a pop, and the Nike was getting that money or the university was getting that money, and he wasn't. Uh, now I guess we find out later on that he was getting money under the table the whole time. So uh, you know who knows what's real and what's not. I thought today, as a matter of fact, at Atlantic 10 Media Day, Bob McKillop, the coach at Davidson, gave a really kind of interesting interesting statement, and I want to read this here. This is from Bob McKillop, the coach at Davidson. I'm convinced that college athletes today should have an opportunity to have their image as a way to earn money. But I'm also convinced today that college athletes, especially Division I basketball players at the Power Five or at our level, are very well rewarded as scholarship athletes. Let's just say that I give you $70,000, $5,000 worth of equipment and $5,000 in extra meal money. I'm going to give you lessons in basketball. I'm going to let you travel in charter planes and stay in nice hotels. But here's what you've got to do. You've got to play basketball for us, but you also have to pay your tuition, buy your books. You've got to find your apartment, feed yourself, get your own insurance, take care of doctor's fees, and you have to buy your equipment. Are you going to be able to t- use that money to do that very wisely? Probably not, but I'm giving you a pretty good deal by giving you that money, aren't I? I don't think we understand it. The deal that kids get is pretty darn good. You take the average kid in America that's not a basketball player that gets that deal on the first day of college, they'd be jumping through the roof. They'd think, wow, you're giving this to me, and I'm getting to play the sport that I love as the only responsibility I have to earn that? That's pretty good. I don't want to hear that college athletes aren't getting paid because they are, but I also think they should be rewarded for who they are. Somehow, we have to find a common ground where the level playing field that the NCAA so much enforces can continue to be enforced amidst this possible thing that happened in California that might spread state to state. And there is talk, that now moving away from the quote, there is talk about other states adopting this as well. And, uh, you know, whether or not it goes to law or whatever, there's certainly conversations about this. Um He did go on to say, I think it's going to make the level playing field more on level, and maybe that's the objective, and maybe that's a point. Is it possible to have this many teams competing on a level playing field when there's so many variations on what budgets are, what facilities are, and what coaching staffs are, and what compensation is? So I I think there is a really good thought that Bob McKillop had there. Obviously, this could be a game changer for the NCAA. What does that mean for the future of the sport that we so love? What does that mean for the future of schools the size of Valpo when it comes to this? Can Valpo compete in a landscape against schools like Kentucky and Duke? Well, one would say they're not competing in that landscape right now. Every once in a while, when Valpo gets really good, they have a team that can be worthy of competing on that level. But most of the time, the 353 Division I college basketball programs, how many of them really are competing at the highest level? I don't know the answer to that. I do know that I'm excited to watch the level of which that Valpo plays on. I love mid-major basketball. It's amazing. And it doesn't quite matter to me what players are playing there. I'm, I'm going to love mid-major basketball anyway. I love the the pageantry and, and all of that of it. I I get nervous about the future of the game when I think about you know, the NCAA, for whatever reason, tries to tell you there's not enough money. And yet I see some of the things these schools have, the salaries they pay their coaches and all of that. Like, why are they paying their coaches such exorbitant amount of money and then turning around and telling you that the players cannot benefit from their own name, image, and likeness? I I just, I have a real hard time with that. I, I don't know the answer. I'm, I'm, comfortable telling you I don't know the answer I think there's arguments to be heard on both sides and I've I've had visions of trying to have a big roundtable discussion on this whole thing about whether or not athletes should be paid or what what a model would look like that could work and I just don't have the answer because you gotta pay Alec Peters one thing but then are you paying Nick Davidson the other thing like how much is that and then to that end, you're paying Nick Davidson one thing. What are you paying a member of the Valpo men's tennis program? Here's a good number for you. Dating back to 
the start of the 2019 calendar year, all of the sports that at Valpo that accrue win-loss records, you know, we're talking about team, not the swim team, not the cross-country team, not the track teams because they have are in meets, but all of the programs that have win-loss records, from the research I did like two weeks ago, so I actually don't have the numbers up to date right now, but the men's tennis program is the only team at Valpo dating back to January 1st, 2019, that has a winning record in this calendar year. How much would you pay those guys? Do you pay per, for performance? Do you pay for whatever? I mean, like, how many of you listening to this podcast right now have ever been to a Valpo tennis match? So what do we pay those guys? They're the ones who are winning. They're the only ones who are winning. I don't know the answer. I think it's a really interesting conversation, and I'm curious to see where this goes. And I wonder, does this mean that... If Kentucky's recruiting a kid and UCLA's recruiting a kid, all of a sudden the kid's definitely going to UCLA. What if Cal Poly is recruiting a kid and Kentucky's recruiting a kid? Are they going to Cal Poly? That's the part that's interesting to me. And then what does the NCAA say about all of this? Well, they say there's no money. There's plenty of money. Okay, next week we're going to do the over-unders. Getting excited for that. Going to take a look at probably most more, more of a wide open year with the over unders than I've ever seen before because I just don't I don't even know what to think about about some of these guys. You know, we'll we'll look at some fun categories, maybe Daniel Saki assists per game, Ryan Fazekas three point shooting percentage, and uh, it's it, it's a it's choosing categories for each one of these players, and then b it's trying to set a line and trying to set a number. So the hope is that uh, we can do this next week and. And hopefully, hopefully, as always, we get the voice of the Crusaders, Todd Eichau, in here to break it down with us because we know Todd has a has an analytical mind for these things. So welcome back. Like I said at the top, it's the beginning of the beginning. We've got a couple more podcasts to go before the season starts. Looking forward to it. Uh, thanks again for listening. If you're over on iTunes, feel free to give us a review and um, you know give a follow and and let me know what you thought of the podcast and and I love talking to Aaron Gordon. I thought he was great, and I'm hoping to do some more player interviews as we go. And uh, it's just a really uh, it's it's good to be back and good to be doing this again. So thanks for listening to Union Street Hoops, and we'll catch you on the flip side.